0: Please take your Bibles and go to Zephaniah. <coughs> Zephaniah chapter 3. If you need a Bible on the chair in front of you, you can pull that out. A black Bible out there in the bottom <coughs> and find page 668, 668, Zephaniah 3. <coughs> We're coming towards the end of Zephaniah. Well, a quick eight weeks. Zephaniah chapter 3. I'm gonna do chapter three, verses one through eight this morning. Excuse me. Zephaniah three, one through eight. I'll read and then we'll jump in. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the tyrannical city. She heeded no voice. She accepted no instruction. She did not trust in Yahweh. She did not draw near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions, her judges are wolves. At evening they leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests have profaned the sanctuary. They've done violence to the law. Yahweh is righteous within her; he will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their corner towers are in ruins. I've made their streets desolate with no one passing by. Their cities are laid waste without a man, without inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me, accepting instructions so that her dwelling will not be cut off, all that I've appointed concerning her, but they were eager to corrupt all their deeds. Therefore, wait for me, declares Yahweh, for the day when I rise up to the prey." Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. I think I've told you about how I learned how to water ski. I don't know if I remember telling you about how I learned how to barefoot ski. Have I said that? Now, it was off a boom, which is a big pole comes off the side of the boat. And I was like, I don't know. It was just a couple years ago. I was like 25, you know. <laughs> so, Hey, what are you laughing at? <clears throat> um, so the idea is you got a rope, oh, it's probably like, I don't know, three to five feet long, and you have the handle. And you're dragged, holding on to this handle, But you can't stay like that, you don't wait. Wait, And waiting in terms of, (laughs) waiting in terms of um, uh, um, not doing anything, Um, staying there. You, you, You don't do that. What you have to do, you trust your instructor. So this is the part, this is the catch. You have to trust your instructor. So you're being dragged, you have to trust your instructor who tells you, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to turn and so you're like this, and then you actually end up going on your back, and then you turn back around, and then you're on your butt. Sorry, I shouldn't say that one. You're on your rear end, and then you have to slowly stand up. But if you stand up too fast, you'll go back, th- and then most people let go at that point. and point. Like, yeah. so, no, so it's not as easy as I'm describing, because it, it, it wasn't. It was really, really hard, especially when you have to trust what your instructor, because you're being dragged, you're just like, there's no way I'm gonna be able to turn this way, but you are because you're going so fast. You're going at a, a higher speed when you're doing a barefoot, at least that's what I was told. And so you have to r- trust your instructor. Don't wait, don't, don't do anything. You have to trust him. Turn, get on your rear end, and then you slowly stand up. A- and I tell you, when you're doing that and you get it, and I did, it's a rush. It's a thrill of a lifetime. It's so amazing. You're like, I'm actually smart skiing. <laughs> you have to focus too. Anyways. In a similar way, when Yahweh calls us to wait, notice verse eight, therefore, wait for me, declares Yahweh. He doesn't mean to stay where you are. He doesn't mean delay action most of the time in the Psalms and the Bible not all the time but most of the time when you see the word wait it means to trust to follow you trust him so as we come to this part in Zephaniah seek Yahweh the God of judgment and discipline salvation and blessing wait for him or waiting for him seek Yahweh waiting for him seek Yahweh wait for him wait for him again from the verse verse 8 the only command that you have here wait for me wait for me wait means to come to Yahweh accept Yahweh obey Yahweh trust Yahweh and you see this word wait or waiting Throughout the Psalms, David says it numerous times. I think when we were going through the Psalms uh, this past summer, I, I mentioned to you when we hit the word "wait," most not all the time, but most of the time it means you trust, you you cling, you follow, you rest, you're trusting in the Lord. That's what waiting means. You come, you accept, you obey, you trust. Yahweh calls His people to His people to come and receive His gracious mercy. Receive it. Trust Him. He'll give you His gracious mercy, as we'll see in just a few moments. His grace abounds. His grace abounds. Yahweh calls us as His people to wait for Him, which means we come to Him, we accept His instruction, we obey Him, and trust him this is what it means to wait for him what it means to seek him but Judah God's people willfully refused to wait for him they lacked shame they loved corruption yet Yahweh's righteousness prevails and his grace abounds but his justice would come And because they did not wait for him, Yahweh would judge Judah, his people, in the same way he would judge all the nations. And this was the catch here in chapter 3. We'll see this in a few moments. Judah acted like the nations. They were no different from the nations. And they would have to answer to the Lord for their sinful ways. Yahweh said to them, "You're, you're, you're no better Judah, Israel was called to be holy, set apart, morally pure, and a model for the whole world on what it means to be Yahweh worshipers. Instead, they became just like the nations, just like the world. That's what's happened to the church today, It's become like the world. Instead of being Examples of grace, love, truth, justice, compassion, community, loving Christ, loving each other, loving the Word of God. It's the opposite. The so called church has become selfish, unforgiving, backbiting, truth underminers, unjust, bitter no sense or desire for community self-loving world-loving not obeying the word what has happened to us we need god to be gracious to us have mercy on me and we need to humble ourselves thanking him that he shows us his grace we'll celebrate that in a few moments he shows us his grace and the tangible elements of the gospel the bread and the juice tangibly touching and tasting the gospel. God has been so gracious to us. So let's walk through the text. And I have for each of the points is going to start with wait for me. So you get wait for me, dot dot dot. Wait for me. But Judah Wilfie refused. Wait for me, but Judah willfully refused. Verses one through four. Notice the first word, woe. This is a lament. This is to draw us as the readers, draw our attention. This is serious news. Because it doesn't have to do with the nations. Chapter two, verses four through 15. We saw that last week. It has to do with those who proclaim to be God's people. It's about them oh no, no, Judah was very happy to agree oh, their pagan neighbors they should be punished oh, absolutely <laughs> but they would be shocked that, that, that these verses was about them that they were the direct object they, they were the hardened sinners they were rebellious they were selfish they were greedy because notice he says woe to her who was rebellious and defiled the tyrannical city what city? Jerusalem not the foreign nations, not Nineveh. Zephaniah would actually draw many similarities between Nineveh and Jerusalem. That the city that, that should have been the model for the world to see, the light on a hill, the example of holy God-worshippers, they became just like the world, just like the nations, The city, or God's people. Notice how they're identified in three different ways, three different adjectives. Look at it. Who is rebellious? Who is defiled? Who is tyrannical? Rebellious. Standing against God with their disobedient, obstinate behavior. Israel was known to be a stubborn and rebellious generation, not loyal to God, they would dig in their heels. Psalm 78, verse 8. Rebellious, defiled, uh, personal sinful defilement, violent. They, they were stained with sinful, wicked conduct that reflected the nations around them. Tyrannical, repressive or bullying, they disregarded others and their and others' welfare they didn't care for each other <laughs> or love each other the, the way yahweh commanded them to love each other there was no brotherhood instead it was every man for himself so here is these adjectives describing and then notice the four accusations that come about from verse 2 that further enhanced these adjectives, these four accusations brought against them showing this rebellion, this defilement, this uh, tyrannical conduct, just like the nations. Verse two, "She heeded no voice. God's people did not listen to God's voice, to the prophets, when they spoke God's word to them. They didn't listen. They didn't obey the word of God in the Torah. They didn't obey the prophets like Isaiah, like Moses, like Ezekiel, like Jeremiah. They didn't listen. They completely disregarded God's word, brushing it off. Accusation number one, she heeded no voice. Accusation number two, she accepted no instruction. Or discipline so in other words their their way of life did not accord with God's way of life God's way of living that's true wisdom the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One's understanding uh, Proverbs nine ten. they did not take God seriously who would correct their ways according to his will and, and Yahweh continue to graciously put them in circumstances whereby he would alert them as his people to their sinful ways calling him to repent and pfft, nothing. They would not have it. So she heeded no voice. She accepted no instruction. She did not trust in Yahweh. Third accusation. She did not trust in Yahweh. True genuine people of God put their trust in God put their trust in Yahweh in spite of God's covenantal relationship with his people they did not trust him they trusted in other gods they trusted in wealth they trusted in people they trusted in themselves He didn't listen. He didn't know voice. Didn't accept instruction. Did not trust Yahweh. Remember he says, wait for me. Last accusation, number four from verse two, she did not draw near to her God. Their attitude was not of love, devotion, allegiance, worship of Yahweh. They were called to approach Yahweh with a sincere heart. They no longer wanted his help. They no longer wanted his love. They had, they had no interest in Yahweh, no interest in true fellowship with Him, no interest. They would rather draw near to the world and its false gods like Baal, Ashtoreth, Milcom, the stars, instead of the true God. All these false gods, these false idols, we were talking about idolatry in the first hour. These are the accusations against God's supposed people, those who called themselves his followers, they call themselves, themselves seekers, but their lives showed otherwise. In spite of the true prophets and the, and the faithful priests telling them the truth and what they needed to hear, they refused. Judah refused. And because they refused, God would shut them down. And yet, know this, God always has a remnant who did truly seek him and follow him, but the vast majority of these were fakers, so he would discipline them severely. Look how this this, um, refusal, it, it continued on, and actually you see it with their kings, with their prophets, with their priests, with those in the civil authority Like the kings, the princes, and the judges with those who were the prophets and with those who were the priests. Look at verse three. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves at evening. They leave nothing for the morning. Jesus Christ was, is, he is our Lord who is the true, final, perfect prophet, priest, and king. Praise his name. But these were fakers. Fakers. This is why we needed Christ to come. So, why we needed the true prophet, priest, and king in Christ Jesus. He's the fulfillment of that because notice the fakers, the four groups of uh, leaders influenced the people. First, the civil authorities. They were like lions, ready to pounce. Instead of protecting the people and providing leadership, making the people safe, they preyed upon them. Look at what it says about the judges. They were like wolves. They left nothing at daybreak. They totally devoured them. They were greedy. They were full of covetousness. They wanted to extract from God's people, taking whatever they could from them, which tells us true good leaders protect God's people. True good leaders protect God's people. Look at verse 4. Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. They're reckless, undisciplined. Only given words of deception, not God's true word. They did not give the whole counsel of God. Only given what the people wanted and spoke from their own minds. They did not give true revelation. They did not give the true revelation. (laughs) On top of that, they actually promoted rebellion and apostasy against God. Says one writer. That's how reckless they were. But true good leaders honestly teach God's word to God's people, and true good leaders promote trust and obedience among God's people. That's what you see with Christ Jesus. Our Lord did that. Our Lord was that one who taught God's word. Our Lord's the one who protects his people, our Lord is the one who promotes trusting and obedience to the Lord. Notice the priests, again verse 4, her priests have profaned the sanctuary, they have done violence to the law. The priests were to teach the people the law and making sure the sanctuary was kept holy and pure. But these have profaned the sanctuary and, and did not uh, teach the law to Yahweh's people. Instead of being the guardians of His word, they undermined it and then replaced it. Re- remember, they, this was before they had found the book of the law. Remember, some priest was probably put, put his foot, feet upon it as, as it was a footrest. Oh, look at this! <laughs> dust straight the dust off. Oh, look, we found this king. What's this? That's the book of the law. Oh my goodness, we haven't been doing any of this stuff. They even, they even weren't even reading it. It was there collecting dust. But true, good leaders. What do they do? They, they bolster God's word. And regard as people holy and pure because the church, God's people, we are the sanctuary. they don't undermine it, they don't profane it. And I'll tell you who these leaders were, the people imitated, and yet conversely speaking, who the people were was reflected in their leaders. And I'll tell you. No amounts of reform would bring what was truly needed. They needed a heart change. That's what they needed. They needed a heart change. So wait on him, but Judah refused. Here's the next point. Wait on him, wait for me, because Yahweh's righteousness prevails. His righteousness prevails. Notice the stark contrast. Hearing from verse 5, Yahweh is righteous within her. In stark contrast to the unjust, wicked, evil behavior of God, suppose, people, Yahweh, their true covenant king, was righteous. He is righteous. He will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He does not fail. His righteousness prevails. It stands. He does no injustice. And he cannot be connected to this corrupt people. He would need to deal with them. He would need to deal with them. In the morning, the judges would meet and hear cases. In the morning, the kings and the princes, they would hear the cases from the people. But her leaders had become corrupt. Truth justice was gone but Yahweh's standards are visible and his standards never fail notice every morning morning by morning he dispenses his righteousness it happens day after day his character of righteousness never changes that's why he is the only one who can be trusted because he's trustworthy everything that God will do is right right everything that's why you can trust him the just reliable God because notice it says he does not fail come accept obey trust wait on him he's trustworthy wait for him Judah refused. Wait for him because his righteousness prevails. Wait for him, wait for me, he says. But Judah lacked shame. Again, the stark contrast to end of verse five, but the unjust knows no shame. In contrast to Yahweh, his righteousness. The people were unjust in all their ways, and so bad was their injustice that they felt no shame for their misconduct. They weren't embarrassed at all by the things they were doing wrong. They didn't care. I'm gonna keep doing it. Wait for me, but Judah refused. Wait for me, his righteousness prevails. Wait for me, but Judah lacked shame. Wait for me, because Yahweh's graciousness abounds. Look at verse 6. This is Yahweh speaking. I've cut off nations, their corner towers are in ruins. I've made their streets desolate, no one passing by. Cities are laid waste, without a man, without an inhabitant. Look at these verbs cut off, ruins, desolate. Notice no inhabitant, laid waste. So what's going on here? What's being said here? This describes Yahweh's actions against nations that have defied him. This is what he did to these nations in the past. And this will happen to his own people, Judah. Because here's the irony his people acted just like the nations. This is what I do to people who defy me, says the Lord but yet there's no difference between the nations and Judah, God's supposed people, because they acted just like the nations. The church many times can act just like the world. It's a shame. So the question is posed, would history drive God's people to repent so they would avoid this same fate? Put another way, Would Yahweh's judgment on the nations give Judah enough reason to see her conduct and repent? Nothing would remain of these nations. All inhabitants were taken. So Judah, it's like he's saying, listen. And then here, verse 7. I said surely you will fear me accepting instructions so that her dwelling will not be cut off all that i've appointed concerning her the the way he judged the nations it should drive them to repentance drive them to fear him drive them to accept instruction drive them to wait for him so that they wouldn't be cut off all that Yahweh had appointed for them. Yahweh did not want to discipline his people in this way. He wants to show grace. He wants to show grace. He wants to show undeserved favor. Should should he let this go and, and forgive them based upon the cross? Absolutely not. That's why it's called grace. Favor undeserved. He wanted them to return to Him repentance and if they did, they'd be saved. Listen to what one writer says, in spite of all the wrongdoings of His people, Yahweh would stay committed to them as the righteous God. A repentant response from them would divert His discipline. Our God is long-suffering and willing to withhold his anger if there would be an attitude of humble repentance. His grace abounds. That's why we can wait for him. That's why we can trust him. He will be faithful to his word. Come with a humble attitude and with an attitude of repentance and contrition. It reminded me of what Daniel prayed in daniel chapter 9 from verse 3 and following daniel wrote this so i gave my attention to the lord god to seek prayer and supplications with fasting sackcloth and ashes and i prayed to yahweh my god and confessed and said alas O lord the great and awesome god who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commands and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Notice, Daniel says this, righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but well, to us, open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, and all the countries to which you've driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him. His grace abounds. And that's the wonderful part. God is abounding in his grace toward us in Christ. This is the essence of the gospel. God should condemn us, and yet he doesn't. Instead, he sends Jesus. He came, he died, he rose. Repent and trust Christ. If you're here, don't know Jesus, or you're listening to this message, Come and God will show His grace to you. Come. Trust Him. He'll save you. That's the grace of God abounding. Wait for Him because Yahweh's grace abounds. Wait for Him. But Judah loved corruption. The end of verse 7. But they were eager to corrupt all their deeds. This word "eager" means rose early to do. You rise up early so you can exercise. You rise up early so you have that cup of coffee. And then I can't think. I'm in like, my coffee, right? The idea is they rose up early so they can do evil deeds. They were eager to keep on in their sinful, corrupt ways. Interesting, too, the word corrupt is the word used to describe the people before the flood. Yahweh gave them countless opportunities to repent, but they resisted His love. This is is why we need changes of heart. This is why we need God to change our hearts because if He doesn't change our hearts, we want nothing to do with Him. Huh? So true. And then you come to hear the only command given throughout this whole section, therefore, Wait for me, declares Yahweh. Again, it means to trust. Repent and trust Yahweh. Why? Wait for me. And here's the last point wait for him because Yahweh's justice comes. Because the day will come when he will rise up to the prey where he would testify against not just all the nations, but Judah. For the day when I rise up to the prey, indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger. He would testify against them because he is the only competent witness. It's quite interesting here. Because here you see, Yahweh is the prosecutor, the prosecuting attorney. Yahweh is also the only true witness. Yahweh is actually the only true judge and Yahweh is the one who's the executioner. He's the true prosecuting counsel. Yahweh is the only true witness. Yahweh is the true judge. Yahweh is the true executioner. He's all of them put together. The prosecutor, the witness, the judge, and the executioner. All four. And you see that here. Now, he's going to shut down all the nations. Not just all the nations. He's going to shut down Judah. Yahweh decided to assemble all the nations and pour out all his indignation, his burning anger. All the earth will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. When? It doesn't say... But, but it seems to be on that final day a few weeks ago we talked about the day of the Lord remember the final day in history when God judges all peoples Yahweh had it that day would come which looks way into the future to the day of the Lord when Yahweh will make all pay for how they treated him how they rebelled against him and, and, but what's the most disturbing news Jerusalem or God's people would be part of this universal judgment it's all for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. How sad God had to treat His people, has to treat His people the same way He treats those who hate Him, because that's what they were acting like. Because unfortunately, those who were called His people were acting just like the world, so in reality, they were not truly His people. They are not truly those who sought Him. God's people seek Him. God's people seek His way of living. God's people seek humility. One writer, he said this, quote, where the people of the Lord refuse to listen to the voice of God, disregard God's instructions to correct sinful behavior, do not trust Him and are not interested in seeking His presence and worship, They become rebellious, defiled, and oppressive. When the relationship with God is neglected, it leads to a decay in relationships with others. And God would judge, discipline them for their sinful behavior. So, where have we, as His his people, where have have we refused to listen to the Lord? Where, Where have we disregarded His instruction? Where have we not trusted him? Where have we not sought him in worship? Where have we become rebellious or defiled and oppressive? It's sad when the conduct of God's people is no different from that of non-believers. And yet it's this very conduct that shows that those people are not really God's people, followers of Jesus. That's why we're called to be different. Uh, Peter says that. We're called to be different from this world because we're not of this world. And yet, God always has a remnant. He always has a remnant. He will take care of them even though they may have to go through that fire of discipline with the others. He will always have a remnant that are faithful to Him. Always. Yahweh calls us as His people to wait for Him, which means we come to Him we accept his instruction. We obey him. We trust him. This is what it means to wait for him. This is what it means to seek him. Wait it means to accept, come to Yahweh, accept Yahweh, obey Yahweh, trust Yahweh. Let's trust him. Let's trust him. And Let's stop and pray and ask him to help us to trust him. And we stop and we pray because, Father, you command us to wait for you, to wait upon you, to trust in you, to accept you, to obey you, to cling to you, O Christ. And that's what we will celebrate in a few moments. The bread representing your body. The juice representing your shed blood. Jesus, you've shown us such grace. And thank you for the times, the times where we've acted like the world. You had to die for that too. Lord Jesus, we cling to you. We come to you with with open hands with open hearts thankful for your grace thankful for your your mercy toward us in Christ Jesus it's so good take these few moments if you would ponder what we've seen in God's word you can take this time to even begin to examine your heart know that you've fallen so short in so many ways and yet don't just stop there go back to the grace that's found at the cross and may the grace and the loving kindness of the Lord drive you to repentance and drive you to more devotion to Him. So thankful that there's forgiveness that's there. Examining your heart. Repeating and reminding yourself the elements, the truths of the gospel. <clears throat> and this is for anyone you're here visiting